Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in this uh, week to another episode of Women to Watch. Um, I hope everybody had a wonderful holiday with their family and friends, and um, I'm so happy to be back in the studio. My name is Susan Rocco, and I'm here at 1180 WFYL um, each week to sit down with a wonderful woman from the area who's doing some wonderful things. Um, if you're listening out there and you have any questions about the show or some uh, previous guests that I've had on, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me by calling 215-313-5561 or feel free to email me at srocco at gmail. Um, today in the studio, I'm, I'm thrilled. We're going to have a, a nice, fun, light show this week, and I have a wonderful lady with me today. Her name is Jennifer Robinson, and she is CEO and founder at Events with a Purpose. I love the name of your, your business. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> um, we're going to find out a little bit about you um, the first half of the show, Jennifer, which is is always um, one of my favorite things to do. Um, and I'm assuming from when I was reading about your background that you went to Abington High School, so I'm assuming you're a local lady. I am. I'm born and raised in the Philadelphia area and actually have never left, not even for school, never lived anywhere else, uh, Abington High School and local college and law school. Yeah. Okay. And, and tell me a little bit about your family. Do you have siblings? I uh, do. Do you have a large family? or? I do. I have um, the, our our immediate family growing up was three sisters, myself as the oldest and two younger sisters. And then uh, my parents got divorced and my father got remarried. And I have a stepsister and a stepbrother as well. Okay. So it's expanded family. Expanded family. Yes. And tell me um, before you, I, I, you have a lot of uh, education. I see you've uh, attended a, many different schools in the area, but I want to know a little bit about your high school years um specifically if if the charitable work that you're involved in right now is something that was always ingrained in you and and how did that come to be it was always ingrained in me um i think from about the time i was possibly even in elementary school but definitely junior high i started working a lot with key club which was a local community service organization yeah we had that at, at my high school as well yeah and um also i think through our students council i was really involved in student council um and you know we did a variety of different activities for uh, american cancer society daffodil days and uh, Thanksgiving food drives and, you know, things like that. And I loved it. You know, I stayed involved with it all through junior high and high school. Um, college, same thing. You know, I continued with community service. Um, but it was really in college that I started kind of expanding that into uh, working with special events and fundraising. Okay. And do you think, did that come from your parents? Uh, is it something that you witnessed them doing throughout their life? Um, not so much, actually. Uh, okay. <laughs> they were involved with Allied Jewish Appeal. That was the main thing I remember. And um, really not much else. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so then you went on, you graduated in 91. Yes. And you went on to Haverford College and you got a degree in political science. Yep. And what were your thoughts at that time about uh, where, what you were going to do with that? My thoughts pretty much from the time I was little was to go to law school. Okay. Um, I actually had a little bit of a crisis in college where I did not want to continue straight to law school. I got really involved in fine arts and um, I was offered a, a situation where I could go to Vermont for a year and um, all expenses paid and have my own studio space and do art instead of pursuing law school. Wow. And, How did that come about? Um, I, you know, I, I was very focused on my artwork and the head of my department, who I was very close to, um, you know, told me I could have this opportunity and I turned it down. <laughs> okay. And really it was my mother's influence at the time. Um, I had been accepted to law school and I, th I said, I'm going to take this opportunity and go do this for a year. And she said, no, I don't think you should. Um, you know, I think you should concentrate on law school and your studies. And you, if you go, you might not go back to school. Um, and I listened to her. Yeah, well, and that's <laughs> yeah. true. That's, you know, you could pick up the art um, somewhere else in life, but it'd be tough to go to law school. Yes. You know, when you're older. I have to say, in retrospect, I wish I had made a different decision. But you do? Yes. Tell me about that. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, when you're younger and you don't have as much responsibility and obligations, it's really the time to pursue things you want to do. I wish I had done, you know, more of that and more traveling and things like that. I didn't study abroad. I, you know, I was just very local and focused on my studies and everything. And, um, you know, I don't feel like that year would have hurt me. It might have, you know, 
give me a different perspective, I might have come back and decided law school wasn't even for me. I might have wanted to pursue something else. Right. You know? Well, which um, you eventually did. Which I did. Yeah. There's, I guess it's yeah. never too late. You no, know, you can and always change direction. It's never too late. And, you know, I'm not sorry about the law training, but um, I am sorry that I didn't take that year. And I say that because I feel like there's a lot of people, you know, I, I do a lot of work with my college still with um, admissions interviews. And I talk to a lot of students and I feel like people should really take advantage of that time. You know, Right, right. Yeah. So now how did you decide upon Villanova to um, attend law school? Yeah, I basically... Was there a connection prior to you going there? No. I mean, I really just wanted to stay local. Um, my father actually at the time was teaching at Temple Law School, and he had gone to Temple Law School. And that was kind of why I didn't want to go to Temple Law School. Like, he was kind of such a bigwig there. Um, I kind of wanted to just kind of do my own thing. Follow your own path, yeah. right? So I went to Villanova, yeah. And tell me about your years there. Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, I think most people you would talk to would not say law school was an extremely positive experience. It's very cutthroat. Um, You know, my college was, um, you know, Haverford College, they have an honor code system. So no grades are discussed. There's no class rank. It's a very different atmosphere. You're basically only competing with yourself. And uh, there's really not a lot of competition that goes on, you know, that you're kind of you know, that's in a public forum, I guess. Right, it's, right. it's called kind of within your own head. And uh, Villanova, and I'm sure most law schools were pretty much completely the opposite. You know, what did you get on this exam? And what was your class rank? And what interviews did you get? And um, It's you know, intense. It's, it's intense. And, um, you know, it's not uh, not the same kind of atmosphere as college, you know, I think, you know, and I think most people would say that. It's very competitive. Um, nothing, you know, particular necessarily to Villanova, but... Um, not not really super positive. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> although you did receive some awards, I think I, I read uh, something about the, uh, is it the moot court that yeah, you were I, a part of? It wasn't really an award. There's a, co- there's a competition that you do for moot court, and um, I, I forget how many teams they start out with. It could be 80, it could be 100, it could be more, and I made it to the Sweet 16 round. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah. I mean, although it was something, you know, as you were going through it, you were finding it a little bit um, of a challenge you still were working very hard and achieving. I w- yeah, I mean, I basically always knew that I wanted to go into litigation. Um, I wanted to be in court. I wanted to be one of those kinds of lawyers. And moot court um, and, and having that kind of experience was really important to me. That was what I really enjoyed out of law school. Okay. And then your next step was to attend Bryn Mawr. Uh, my next step, uh, yeah, was to attend a certificate program while I was working yeah. at Bryn Mawr. Tell yeah. me about that. Conflict yeah. resolution. What is, what is that all about? So basically, it was interesting because I'd been practicing law for a while, and, uh, you know, it's pretty intense practicing litigation, and I was in insurance defense, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, lack of civility, I guess you would say. And uh, I thought that a conflict resolution certificate would be interesting because it would teach me a different perspective of looking at how to resolve arguments and settle things and settle disputes, both in my professional and my personal life, I thought. And it really turned out to be exactly what I had hoped for. And what was really nice about it was that um, I was the only lawyer in my class. So it was really, it kind of really opened my eyes to uh, everything more that's out there as far as people doing different things that are in different fields and getting different perspectives that aren't just, you know, law-based. And um, so it was really a positive experience. I'm surprised you were the only lawyer. I would think that that might be, um, you know, something that a lot of attorneys would be interested in you know, um, getting a little bit experience in. Yeah. Certainly negotiating is something, you know, that's worthwhile in any field. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, then you went on to Georgetown. Yes. Okay. And what made you decide to do that? Well, at that point, that was earlier uh, in 2012, I had already decided I was going to start this business. And um, I felt that even though I had a lot of experience part-time doing events and fundraising and working with nonprofits, um, that it would be good if I went to a program where I got sort of a... um, you know, more of a direct background where they were focusing on every issue I would have to deal with, with nonprofits. And, and that's exactly what the program was. So I went for eight days. Every day we did a different topic, you know, board governance, you know, HR issues, fundraising, um, mission, strategy, you know, all kinds of different aspects of how to run a nonprofit. And at the end of that program, they gave you a final project <coughs> excuse me, final project that you had a month to do, and um, you could pick a nonprofit and focus on a problem, and uh, you turned in the project, and then you, upon successful completion of that, you got your certificate. So, okay. Yeah. Now, were you working at that time? 
not really. I mean, basically, I had left my full-time job last year in 2011. And at that point of this year, when I took the program at Georgetown, I was focusing on getting my business started. Okay. So I was doing a lot of, you know, networking and consulting with my web designer and attorneys and all of that fun stuff. Right. Yeah. It takes a lot. <laughs> it takes the a lot. The web design alone. Yeah. Oh, it takes yeah. forever. Yeah. Okay. How about um, prior to that? Um, I always like to know what um, my guests did when they were younger for, um, you know, some of your first jobs at a school maybe or even during high school. Right. Um, I did a lot of babysitting. I worked at camps as counselor, CIT, junior counselor, overnight camp as a counselor. Um, I, I worked retail. Um, I worked as a hostess at Glifty's Restaurant for a little while in Bryn Mawr, Rosemont area. Um, all sorts of things like that. I, a little bit on the side, I worked for some of my father's law firms. Um, at that point, he was on his own or with partners, and I had some experience doing that um, before I was in law school. So, um, What type of law did your father practice? He, at the time, practiced mainly family law. That was mainly what he was known for. And he also did a lot of... Uh, sort of medical malpractice and I would say higher end uh, plaintiff's personal injury cases. Okay. Um, now you also, well, two things I thought were really interesting. You speak French. I Not as well as my sisters, <laughs> but yes, I have a working knowledge of French. Yeah. Is there some <laughs> French in your background or is it just the language that you kind of gravitated toward? My mother is from Fez, Morocco, and uh, she's Sephardic Jewish and okay. uh, her she actually spoke seven languages, um, and wow. uh, yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, so she uh, she spoke fluent French as one of her languages. Her primary languages were actually French and Arabic and Hebrew, wow. um, not English. And you know, so she wanted us to grow up speaking French and spoke French to us in the house. Uh, and I think of my three sisters. I'm the one who speaks it the worst. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> so you don't want yeah. me to ask you to say a few things. Um, probably not. Yeah, my, my littlest sister Lara would be mortified because she's not only fluent but has like the perfect accent as though really? she was in France. But oh, that's so great. yeah, but I mean, I, I, you know, I can read it. I can understand it. If you drop me in France, I could make my way around. Um, but I wouldn't say languages are my super strong point. Right. Yeah. Okay. But that's so cool. I love. I just the idea of growing up and you know in this country, but having your um, family speak to you in another language is it's really neat it was really neat and you know what ended up happening was as we got older and had more of an understanding of French when her family would come my grandparents and everything they would when when they wanted to talk about us and they didn't want us to understand what they were saying they would speak Arabic because we didn't know any Arabic so we knew if they were speaking Arabic (laughs) you were either in trouble or there's a big secret exactly yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I know a lot of the work that you do is centered around animals and you must have a strong love of animals did you have any pets growing up no, and actually I had no love of animals growing up. My mother had a fear of dogs, and I think, um, me personally, I can't speak for my sisters necessarily, I developed the same fear of dogs. And wow. if you talk to some of my friends growing up, you know, I would go to people's houses, I wouldn't interact with the dogs, I would sometimes ask the dogs to be put away because I was afraid of them. So it was really that kind of um, wow. relationship that I had with animals. And what turned it around was um, when I started working as an attorney at Allstate in 2000, a friend of mine who was a colleague there started an animal group that I got involved with that was planning fundraising events and things like that and my husband well, who was my boyfriend at the time ended up adopting a dog um what was was it the pit bull I know uh, that no it was it, he's actually we still have him his name's Buster and he's uh when we adopted him they told us he was a miniature pincher which are very tiny you might know like you know sort of pocket dogs right he's now 44 pounds and he looks more sort of like a Rottweiler mix so he's sort of a mutt um but when, at the time where my husband adopted him, uh, it almost broke us up. And um, <laughs> I, I basically threatened him. I said, you know, um, if you adopt this dog, I'm never coming to your house and we're going to break up. And he still adopted the dog. Wow. So in retrospect, I wonder if that was a sign. <laughs> we're married now, so I don't know. But um, Well, because yeah. if you can get through that, you can get through anything. Right. right? So, so he went ahead and adopted the dog. And, uh, you know, within days, it was like the love of my life. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I've seen that a lot with more so women than men that you have no interest in pets or dogs specifically I have a couple sister-in-laws and now it's the greatest thing they've ever done yes you know and they all think I need to get another dog we had we had a dog recently but oh that's great um so I know that you do you do a lot of work with organizations um that um you know help with animals in the area adoption and um is that something that you did first when you started with the nonprofits, or did 
that kind of evolve with the other nonprofit work you did? Well, I mean, I did nonprofit work growing up that was not focused on animals, college, you know, law school. Um, and it was really, like I said, I'd say starting in the year 2000, when I started with my friend's animal group, um, that I really started focusing myself on doing animal work, um, volunteering with different organizations, and, you know, really getting more of an understanding of just how many homeless pets there are in the country and how many don't make it. Um, and learning more about that whole process, you know, what it means when you buy a pet as opposed to adopting, how many pets actually make it out of the shelters, um, you know, what sorts of breeds make it out of the shelters, what sorts of breeds don't make it out of the shelters. Um, so, I, you know, I started just getting much more knowledgeable about that whole process, and it me made me really want to help out with it more. Um, when you um, when you were growing up and you were thinking about you know, the law school and, and the avenue you were going to take. I always like to know what um, inspired you to kind of be your own person, start your own business and do your own thing. Um, a lot of young people growing up think about the company they might want to work for or an industry that they want to go into. But it's different when you when you have that confidence that you can do something on your own. Where did that come from for you? I think for me, um, it really came from uh, in 2008, I had a near-death accident. Um, I had a near-death accident in 2008. And, you know, it really changes your perspective on things when that happens, when you have a situation like that in your life. And it really made me rethink what I was doing with my life, what I wanted to be doing with my life, and kind of the direction I wanted to head. Um, I didn't work for a while after that, and then I continued as an attorney part-time. And, you know, for a number of reasons, I think my head wasn't in the game anymore. Um, and I was very frustrated. And I felt like there was really something more I wanted to be doing. Um, so I think, you know, kind of getting past all of that, um, all the therapy and rehab and everything that I've had to deal with the last couple years related to that, I finally reached a point last year where I thought, you know, I really want to pursue something with nonprofits. And why can't I do it myself? Like, if not now, when? Right. <laughs> That's where your passion is. Exactly. Yeah. Can you tell us about that experience? What happened? Um, I was a pedestrian in the city downtown, and I got hit and then pinned underneath a truck. Wow. So, yeah. Um, well, you've come a long way since then. It, ha it has been a long road. Yeah, physically yeah. and emotionally. Both, yes. You're quite yeah. beautiful. Oh, you thank doesn't you. doesn't look like anything ever happened to you. Oh, thank you. It's, yeah. a, it's definitely been a long road, and it's a process. And, um, you know, it's, as all my therapists would say, it's, it involves you getting used to what's called the new normal. So even though I sit here today and I'm doing much better, it's never the same, you know. And uh, there are definitely things I'll live with for the rest of my life, physically and mentally. But, um, you know, you can really take that two directions. You know, you can wallow in it and, you know, let it define you or you can move on. And I have to say, like, I wish I could say I, one of the, I was one of those people that said immediately I'm going to be the bigger person and move on. But I wasn't. You know, I, I think I had to go through my own path and therapy. And, yeah, that takes yeah. time. Yeah. Now, I don't know that a lot of people would, would get to that place immediately. Immediately. Yeah. So, I mean, I think at that at this point, um, I'm able to take the positive from it and um, how much stronger I've become and what a better place my life is in. But it's taken a while to get to that point. Well, for our listeners, um, um, if there's someone who's listening that perhaps is going through um, a struggle like that, what advice would you give them to what, what was it that helped you reach that point of really looking at the positive? I think really realizing just how fragile life is and how you really have to take things day by day and be appreciative of everything around you, um, family and friends and what you're doing with your life and what kind of difference you can be making for yourself and for others. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, even though I was working for a very nice company and I loved my coworkers and my boss, insurance defense litigation was not doing that for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was just a matter of figuring out what that path was going to be. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and you're so lucky to have to figured that out and, you know, um, be successful at it. And was there people in your life that were, that helped you and supported you to, to launch the business? My husband has been a huge help. I mean, actually, at the same time I was deciding to launch this business, he was finishing an MBA program. So that was very fortuitous for me um, because that probably saved me a lot of costs in uh, <laughs> paying consultants or, you know, people right. that I would have had to help me with knowledge that I didn't have. Um, right. He has, and he's been a tremendous support. Um, and my family, you know, my family's been a tremendous support. Um, I've been seeing a therapist since my accident, and she's been an amazing support for me. Great. Um, so, you know, I mean, definitely, I mean, people have been very supportive. Um, 
you know, and it's, it's, you know, I think uh, it's, it's ended up in a good place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, do you have, um, do you work from home or do you have um, an office? I work from home right you now. You do? Yeah. And how do you find your clients? How do you go, what, what's the process there other than referrals? Right. I mean, mainly it's been networking. I would say, okay. um, you know, for about the last year when I really made this decision that this was what I was going to do, I've gotten involved in probably about 10 different networking groups and I kind of approach it like it's a full-time job, you know? I enjoy it. I love meeting people. I've always been that type of person. So Mm -hmm. most of the time, I don't consider it work. I enjoy it. But at the same time, I realized that, you know, I was known as a lawyer, but I'm not a known quantity, you know, a commodity as as an event planner and fundraiser and everything, except with the organizations I've worked with. So it was really a matter of going out there and meeting people and explaining what I was going to do. And you know, um, hoping that things came from it. And I have to say they, they really have. Yeah. You know? And you, I think it's important to find those right organizations, the ones that, you know, you kind of relate to. Um, and it's true, you can meet 20 people, you know, in a room. And typically, there's going to be one there that needs you and you need them and, you know, something works out. Yeah. Or even if it's not that type of immediate situation, you know, every day I get calls um, from somebody who knows somebody, you know, who met me six months ago or gave right. my card out or you just you never know. You never know. You know? And sometimes it does yeah. come later. Sometimes yeah. I think, you know, we meet people and we think, you know, we're going to be working together and a couple of months pass by and there's, you know, nothing comes about. And then there's the right time. And right. it does. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think we're going to round up the first half of the show. And we'll, I'm very excited to get into all of the events and the different or- organizations that you work with. And we'll do that after we have a couple of commercials. Okay. From Willow Grove to Westchester, Pottstown to Philadelphia, it's News Talk 1180 WFYL. Are you a wise woman? If so, attend a free Wise Woman Workshop, focusing exclusively on the financial challenges women of all ages face today. Today is the day to secure your financial independence. The workshop is free. The information is priceless. The only cost to you is your time. So register today at www.wisewomenworkshop.com or call 267 697-9700. Again, that number is 267-699-9700. Mention Women to Watch and receive a free workbook. To find a workshop in your area, go to www.wisewomenworkshop.com. Wagmore Next Door is Skipback Animal Hospital's latest addition to help meet the needs of your pet. We're the only animal hospital in the Skipback and surrounding area now providing a doggy day camp and one-stop shopping for your pet's exercise and fun. Have you ever come home after a long day at work to find that your dog has eaten your favorite pair of underwear or socks, destroyed parts of your home, or shoplifted an entire chicken from the kitchen countertop? Leaving your dog home alone can be dangerous and life-threatening. Wagmore Next Door is fully supervised and operated by trained animal professionals. Here your dog will run and play with other dogs. Obedience training is also available and very popular. Your dog will go home tired, content, and happy. We have many packages to choose from to accommodate your work schedule, vacation schedule, and out-of-town schedule. For information, please call us at 610-584-6300, or you can visit our website, skipbackanimalhospital.com. You can also check out our Facebook page. We can't wait to see you. Want your home to look great for company from out of town, moving to a new place, or just want the satisfaction of a clean, healthy home? Whatever your reason, everybody needs to clean. So why not choose the line of cleaning tools that makes your task easier? Quickie is your one-stop cleaning solution with everything you need to get the job done right. Whether you're cleaning one room or the whole house, Quickie has the right tool for you. It doesn't matter if you prefer a more traditional mop and bucket or if you'd like to save time with a new Quickie spray mop. Quickie has everything you need to get the job done. Founded in Philadelphia 60 years ago, Quickie's commitment to quality and value have helped it grow into the number one cleaning tool company in America. It's Quickie and it's clean. Look for Quickie products at Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, ShopRite, and other fine retailers near you. 
At Blue Bell Physical Therapy, our goal is to get you back in the game, back to work, and back to your normal way of life. Our highly respected team provides preventative and rehabilitation services from everyday physical and occupational therapy to post-operative rehab of your knees, shoulders, or spine. Blue Bell Physical Therapy focuses on achieving each patient's maximum level of recovery. Blue Bell Physical Therapy, the treatment you need for the therapist you trust. Get your skinny water today at Acme. Great taste, zero guilt. And see how delicious a zero-calorie enhanced with vitamins and electrolytes can be. Because taste matters, doesn't it? Try skinny water today at Acme. Is your online store cluttering your house and garage with your product? Does it require you to spend all your free time shipping packages, leaving you no time to work with new customers or develop new marketing initiatives? Now is the time to free up your space and time and let ABC Fulfillment provide you with cost-effective warehousing, order processing, and shipping for your products. Our 20,000-square-foot warehouse is conveniently located in Ambler, PA. ABC Fulfillment is a 100% woman-owned and operated business and has helped many small and mid-sized businesses solve their warehousing and order processing problems. We pride ourselves on our attention to detail as well as our excellent customer service. When you call us, you will always speak with someone who can help you solve your problem and not be asked to leave a message. Our personal touch and expertise separates us from the rest. Last year, we shipped over 150,000 packages for our customers including order processing and shipping for the Jill Steals and Deals segment of the Today Show, saving our customers both time and money. If you would like to spend more time finding new products to sell, reaching new customers, and marketing your products, now is the time to call ABC Fulfillment. Please call 215-628-3154 and ask for Eileen or Lisa to help you get started. News Talk 1180-WFYL, streaming live at 1180-WFYL.com. We're back, everybody, and we are in the studio today with Jennifer Robinson, who is CEO and founder at Events with a Purpose. Um, She's also an attorney um, who went to Villanova Law School and uh, had discovered after um, some years in the law industry that her real passion was in special events and nonprofit organizations. So this half of the show, we're going to get into um, some of the organizations that Jennifer works with. There's quite a few, so we're only going to be able to touch on a a couple of them. Um, But the first thing I thought I would talk to you about is this new blog that you're doing for Worthy Wednesdays. And I wonder if you can tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, this is actually my first column will be in January. So I haven't even really started it yet. Um, But I know which one I'm going to focus on. Um, And uh, a friend of mine actually contacted me and said, I saw this ad, they're looking for somebody to do a guest blogging, you know, appearance, a regular column about nonprofits. And I thought of you. And I contacted the person. And um, so now I'm going to start this column. My first one is going to be on ABC House of Radnor, which stands for a better chance of Radnor. Yeah. Uh, now, I went on to the site when I read about the blog, and I'm not sure I understand what the, is is this, was the site started by um, the woman, uh, I think her name is Sarah? Is The site for the blog? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. And what is, does she have all different types of guests that come on and talk about different things that they're doing or is there one mission with the, with the site I think she has several different types of blogs and I think the uh, worthy Wednesdays column I think you know obviously the times where I'm not doing it there'll be other people talking about different nonprofit issues okay so yeah. it's all based for nonprofit I think that particular one worthy Wednesdays is but I think she has other types of blogs that focus on other things okay yeah. um, the um, ABC Radner that you spoke about yes. tell us a little bit about that So that's an organization. um, They basically take kids from disadvantaged backgrounds across the country who have uh, school systems that aren't so good. And they take applicants every year and they um, they have a different you know process they go through. They select certain children and the ones that make it into the program live in a house in Radnor um, 
further four years of high school, attend one of the local high schools, and they basically try to give them all the support they can to make sure they successfully get through high school and get to a good college. Um, So they provide a part-time cook, they have tutors, they have residential advisors, there are host families that agree to have, you know, regular relationships with the children in that program, host them for dinner or holidays when they can't get back to their families, and, you know, basically have a, a set of regular people that stay in their lives for four years so that they can be a success. And are there teachers that stay in the in the home as well, or do they come and go throughout the day? I know the there week? are uh, tutors that come in. I'm not sure if the tutors live there or it's just the residential advisors that live there, but oh. they do have regular tutors. Okay. Yeah. And how many yeah. how many children are there at one time? I think it could be anywhere between six to about twelve or thirteen. Um, and right now, one of the issues they're having is that the house they're in, which is a very old Victorian house, the third floor of the house is basically uninhabitable. So if the third house was redone and they had the funding for that, they could house more children than what they have right now. So that's a big concern for them right now. Okay. And do you sit on the board? I do. This is, It's pretty recent. In the last few months, I, I, I was asked to be on the board. And, you know, I'm trying to help them focus on a lot of fundraising issues right now. Um also some board issues, but mainly fundraising um, for the organization. So they have uh, an event coming up on May 5th, which will be their kitchen tour, which they also did last year, where they take a group of people around to different, you know, amazing homes in the mainline area and show them the kitchens. And um, I think there's going to be some food involved at the different homes this year. That's good. It's always good when there's food involved. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) that'll bring people out. Exactly. That was one of the suggestions I made. Hopefully they'll they'll go through with it. So, um, you know, I mean, I think right now, um, I know that I just talked to um, Anna Davis, um, and she she said yesterday that they were just focused on, uh, they were just featured on Patch, um, yes. on a like a TV special kind of thing with two of the kids who are in the program, um, talking about you know kind of the state of the ABC House right now and and what they need to have done. I so, think that's a great idea yeah. to get the kids out there, you know, in the public talking about what a wonderful thing this is for them. Yeah. So so basically, these children are you know they excel academically but they're not getting that uh, those kind of challenge programs in the high school they're in? I think some of them even are not uh, not doing well, not excelling in their circumstances. Oh, um, okay. But maybe there are children that, you know, they think have potential to, to, you know, to be in different circumstances and have the help that they need to excel. That's so, wonderful. And yeah. I, do the teachers at their schools um, write recommendations? Or how does the, how do they get selected? They, um, I, there's a process that they go through, which involves, you know, essays, application recommendations, um, and a panel that's with the organization that involves, you know, board members, advisory council, and, um, you know, they come to a consensus about yeah. who should get on the program. I'm sure it's very difficult because I know they get many more applicants than they I can bet. have in this house. I yeah. bet. Well, yeah. maybe one day down the road they'll have additional homes. They, they do. It's actually a national program. And okay. there's, there's an ABC House of Lower Marion and I Great. think there are some other local ones as well. Um, okay, good. But, you know, because they live in a house, I mean, they have to have the house and then only so many people can live in a house. So right. within each area, it's a very small program. Yeah. Um, it's a very wonderful program, but I mean, I'm sure they wish they could help more children. Yeah. You know, and, and for our particular program um, if they could get that funding to redo the third floor they could probably have four or five more children in that house yeah so. and, I, and I hope they keep the stories going of where these children end up and and what they you know end up doing with their lives they do and you know the the people who are involved in the program um, they really do keep tabs on the kids um, and they develop long-term relationships with them That's I've great. heard some really great stories about you know what the kids are doing and um, you know where their life has gone as far as their career post-college and it's really wonderful yeah that's really neat yeah um i know you do a lot of work with the fox chase cancer society or i'm sorry the fox chase cancer center and um i i read that there's a fashion show coming up can you tell us a little bit about that i know there's a lot of people who would want to be supportive um of of that center i actually haven't worked with fox chase cancer center before although i have done a lot of work with um alex's lemonade as a volunteer okay i've I've done a lot of work with cancer and i've done a lot of work with the american cancer society um particularly at my job at AAA Mid-Atlantic when I was still an attorney. We did a lot of, you know, we did a regular campaign every year um, for American Cancer Society. So I have been involved in a lot of cancer work, but this is the first time I'll be working with Fox okay, Chase. Good. Um, and really, my client in this, in this, for this particular event is um, Christine Phillips, and she is a fashion designer in the Philadelphia area. She's really amazing, and every year she does this fashion show for a cause and uh, makes it more of a fundraiser. And this year, it's going to benefit the Fox Chase Cancer Center. Okay, so, and where is it going to be held? Um, it's going to be held at the 23rd Street Armory on February 23rd. 
Okay. And, and anyone can... Anyone can go. Um, I believe, I, you know, you have, don't quote me, but I think the ticket price is about $60, and that includes a full dinner and the fashion show. And, um, you know, so we're hoping it'll be a very successful event and raise a lot of money. Does she have a, a retail shop, or does she sell online? What she, does she do with her designs? She um, she does not have a retail shop. She does uh, trunk shows and different shows um, locally and, and, and other locations and she also teaches um sewing classes for uh girls oh, on great. the main line so yeah, great to teach kids like sewing and fashion design and things like that yeah so i'm really involved just in the sponsorship aspect but i knew her first as a designer um okay and you know then as i've gotten to know her and she learned more about what i was doing she asked me to get involved you know in another capacity yeah so, that's great yeah um one of the organizations you're involved with i thought was really interesting um chaos and color organization that helps the uh Indian children? Yeah, that's actually yeah. very recent. I just I just got involved with them. And um, yeah, I had never heard of the organization. I think it's um, it sounds like it's going to be wonderful. And that's been one of the things that's been great about this new job. I mean, every day when I get calls or emails, I never know where it's going to take me. Right. I, you know, I learn about these organizations I never knew about. There's um, so many. There's, there's so, so many. many. And, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, what's, what's starting to develop, which I really wanted to happen with my company, is that I'm getting a lot of calls from startup uh, nonprofits, where I'm kind of getting in at more of the ground floor and I can really help them with you know how to move forward you know what kind of strategy they should have how to establish their board you know how how to do fundraising what types of events they should have what kind of PR they should do you know how to get their name out there I can help them with all of it and um, so that's one of those organizations I just had my first meeting with the director and um, they had one event so far in 2011 that I was not involved with obviously and um, so now she's really hoping to kind of revamp everything and make it uh, more of a ongoing group um, are they a national uh, organization or local no Just right local. now they're well they're they're a local group but right now they they've mainly only helped Indian street children she's Indian and um, the idea behind the organization is to raise money that they would send back to India to establish schools so that kids aren't on the street and they're actually learning something um, but I think you know in talking to her what she would like to do is expand that to not only um, India and other international places but even American children and you know who are who are not getting what they need from their school programs. That would be great. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I mean she you know she started with with India because that's her culture and her background and she had um, an event in 2011 and raised some money and she's hoping to expand the whole thing and I'm just happy I can be a part of it and like you know move it forward. Right from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know, as we talked about in the first half of the show, um, you're quite involved in um, animal organization. Yes. And there's one called Paws for Life. Tell me what they do. Yeah, Pals for Life. They um, they take uh, therapy dogs into different facilities, uh, rehab centers, nursing homes or elderly care facilities, and schools, um, and they provide therapy dogs. Um, this was really close to my heart because when I had my accident and I was in therapy, um, they brought therapy dogs into Bryn Mawr Rehab where I was for many months. Oh, um, that's great. So, yeah. So that was, um, it's, it was really tough. I mean, I was going through a really tough time and there were people around me that were even going through much tougher things than I had been through. And people were generally pretty miserable there. <laughs> um, it was hard work to go through therapy and, you right. know, dealing with all like the life changes and everything from what you had been through. And you know, when they brought in the dogs, it was really like the only time I would see people smile, you know. Yeah. Um, so I thought when I kind of got past everything, you know, and got to a better place in my own life and my love of animals, of course, I wanted to help with an organization that brought dogs to those type of places. Yeah. Um, so they bring dogs and cats and they even have two bunnies that come out. Um, and, you know, <laughs> it's great. And they go they go out to, you know, rehab facilities. Uh, senior centers and they do reading programs in schools which is wonderful and the idea behind the reading programs is that um, children who may you know not feel comfortable reading in front of their peers or a teacher will read to the animals because they won't judge them and you know that's a great feel, idea right. yeah, that's a great idea <laughs> so yeah so that's a great program and then one thing that they've also started which I think is great is uh, they've been going to local colleges during um, finals so they can provide kind of therapy to, for people dealing with the stress of exams um, wow. So, yeah, they do These a lot of These dogs really could do anything. <laughs> <laughs> what, I had never thought about that before. I was speaking in front of, an, you know, a lot of people suffer from, you know, anxiety of public speaking. Yeah. 
And what, what a great way to, you know, kind of overcome that by starting a with idea. a great yeah. audience of animals that are going to love you no matter what right. you say. They're going to think you're doing a great job. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you're doing a great job. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I, just a couple of things I wanted to say with that is um, they have um, Susanna Fu and Radner. They're doing a day on January 15th. It's like a dining out to raise money for the organization. Okay. So if you come there for dinner, I think it's from 4 to 9 p.m. They're going to give 10% of the proceeds from food and alcohol for the night to Pals for Life. Great. And then also we're doing a uh, Bow Wow Bingo um, on March 2nd, which is a big fundraiser that they do for the organization. And we're looking for sponsors and donations of items for the auction and things like that. Um, So that's a big fundraiser that they do. Um, We're going to be talking a lot today about different events coming up, lots of different dates. If as we're going through the interview, if there are people listening and something is of interest to them, can they find all of this information on your website or do they have to go to each individual? Right now, um, some of the things we're talking about are listed on the cover page of my website in my calendar for events. Um, if there's things that aren't on there or that they want to look at, they can go a couple places. They can contact me by email. Um, should I give my address? We'll, we'll do or? that okay. at the end. Yeah, okay. I just, I was, yeah. it came to mind that, you know, we are, we're giving out a lot of information, yeah. a great events coming up and I wouldn't want someone to miss out on it so yeah so I mean we'll do that at the end but I mean my website if my website doesn't cover the information they need they can either email me or I also have a business Facebook page where I put up a lot more of what's going on great okay good Um, I know you also do some work with social media as far as um, advising your clients yes and um, I'm wondering what you know what role does that play for fundraising um, the use of social media and what do you think works and what do you think maybe wouldn't I think, you know, a lot of people are sort of still of the opinion um, that social media isn't that important, you know, um, especially organizations that have been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have our donors and this is the way we've done fundraising in the past and this is the way we should continue to do it and we don't really need an online presence and, um, you know, that's just not the case anymore, of right, course. You right. know, I mean, um, so, you know, I, I, Chaos and Color is a great example of that. When I met with them, um, they don't have any online, you know, they have their website, which they wouldn't update, but um, they don't have any, you know, they don't have Twitter, they don't have Facebook. And I meet a lot of organizations like that where I have I to explain to them, you know, the importance of getting online and not only getting online, but being active online so that people right. are, you know, engaged. Right. Um, because for a lot of nonprofits, you know, that's really the key. I mean, you're not selling a product, you know, it's not Bloomingdale's where you're buying a sweater. You know, your product is, you know, getting people involved in your mission and being engaged that this is a cause out of all the causes that's that worthy. they should support. And right. that's where I think social media really plays a big role because, um, you know, there's so much more you can do and, and at such a lower cost too. Because, right. you know, you didn't have that available years ago. You can start a fa- Facebook page for free and you know you can maintain it you can put up pictures you can put up event information you know you can request donations you can do these great things that are now uh, you know online chip in or causes and you can have campaigns online for people to donate well and you're reaching so many more people um, that way Yeah. yeah so I mean I think um you know, a lot of it is getting people to understand that they need to be, you know, they need to have the presence in social media. And then it's, um, even for the people who are already on there, it's making them understand that it's really a daily thing that, right. you know, how to engage their audience and get more people involved. Although yeah. I, th- I think sometimes their fear is that it's a lot to manage. You know, it when is. we talk about posting pictures and, you know, keeping updates and keeping it fresh, once you get it, you know, a handle on how to do that, it really isn't that difficult. It's still pretty time consuming, I have to say. I mean, you know, even just But myself. the technical part of it, I think maybe some people who have used it for their organization for many years don't think that they'll be able to, to oh, do no, it. Oh, that part, I agree with you. That yeah. part, I mean, once you learn how to do things, and, and, you know, I'm still on a learning curve myself with some of this. I mean, you know, there's always a new thing to learn. And, you know, right. my sister, my one of my sisters who's 10 years younger, I mean, her technology skills are better than mine, you know? Right, um, So there's right. always a learning curve. But, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, there is a fear people have that, oh, I don't really understand how to do this, or what is this Facebook, or what is, you know, why do I need to be on Pinterest, or whatever it is. And uh, <laughs> Or people you know, aren't <laughs> really going to be interested in what I'm right, doing. Right, They are. They, you know, but I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, once you understand how to use it it's not difficult but it is time consuming and I think that's where um, you know even for me personally I mean right now it's just me I don't have staff I was just going to ask you (laughs) that you really you're doing so much and being pulled in so many different directions I was going to ask you if you have people that work for you or you're doing it by yourself right now I don't right now and you know I'm definitely hoping to I'm hoping that I reach a level you know in the next year where I feel like that's something I can justify you know 
Um, but you know, for right now, it's it's a lot to keep up with. And um, I have to say, I mean, that's like one thing that's been eye opening. I love what I'm doing, so I'm of course not sorry about it. I'm thrilled with what I'm doing. But you know, when I had even a job as a lawyer, which is very demanding, there was an end point. You know, at some point in my day, I would say, well, it's five o'clock. I don't have court tomorrow. I don't need to take a file home with me, and I'm done. You know, and and now there's not that end point. You know, right. when you run your own business. Um, you know, I'm working sometimes 12, 1, 2 in the morning trying right. to, you know, post something on Facebook or, you know, res- you know, finish a proposal for a client. There's not really an end point. And I, some of that's probably my own fault. It's probably lear- more of a balancing that right. I have to understand. Well, you're invested in it, <laughs> yeah. right? So a lot of, you know, a lot of your thoughts probably come in the middle of the night. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's um, that social media is very time consuming. And I think um, if people can afford to have some help with it, Um, It helps them to focus more on what's really important to their business, you know, getting out there and meeting donors and, you know, talking about their mission and maybe doing presentations for groups and things like that um, and programming and, you know, the things that they really should be focusing on with their organization as opposed to, you know, um, making sure things are posted online. You know, if they they can't afford it, I understand, but if they can afford the help. Their, their focus should be elsewhere, I think. Well, and you know, yeah. that brings me to a question. A lot of um, the work you do is helping people find sponsors. Sponsorship is huge for yeah. um, nonprofits and fundraising. And for someone who maybe um, is early on and, and they do not have the funds to, to hire somebody, what are some tips you can give people listening um, that they could use to, to, to go out and, and find sponsors and find you know people that are um, going to back them and what they're doing? I think, you know, if you're a local organization, I mean, the first thing I would say is you should sit down with a blank piece of paper, really think about your organization and who the audience is and who it would target. Um, And then make a list of companies and businesses and people that you think you could reach out to in your own network or maybe friends networks. Um, start start always with your own contacts and your own network. And but even beyond that, make a list of even ideally in an ideal world, if, even if you have no contacts there, who would be the target audience for your organization? And then reach out to them. And I think you know even with the days of internet and everything, um, there's no harm in making a phone call because you know there's a lot of people that get um, overwhelmed by the amount of email that they get every day. And you can distinguish yourself by making a phone call and actually getting somebody on the phone and talking to them live about your cause and your organization. So I think, you know, not trying everything, you know, making sure that your sponsorship is targeted and that you're trying to make a personal connection with the people that you're looking at um, to be potential sponsors. Um, so those are some of the things I would focus on, and especially if you're a local um, nonprofit, I think really focusing on your actual community um, because local businesses really do support a lot of organizations. You know, they want to support their community. They want to support organizations within their community. So start there. You know, I mean, if you're just starting out or you're a local organization and you haven't reached the level of, say, an Alex's Lemonade, which after, you know, over 10 years, I mean, they're great. They're national. If you're at that point where you're a local organization, start within your own, you know, local community and see who who's going to support you there and you know probably a lot of people will yeah so. and and getting out yeah. um we talked earlier about the networking groups that are available and they really are so valuable because you want to form relationships yeah um it's tough to pick up the phone and call someone blindly with maybe not an introduction um or somebody who referred you to them i think that's really critical i think yeah i mean that's that's a very very good point i think most of the time that's really a waste of time you know to make right. the blind phone call yes. and the people who think, you know, I'm just going to make a list and then, you know, why wouldn't, you know, Coca-Cola support my organization? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's probably no not one else asks right. them for anything. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I think, you know, that's so much of it. Um, I think, you know, you shouldn't join networking groups with the idea that tomorrow somebody's going to be able to donate or support me or, you know, that's, you know, bring me a client. You should join them with the idea of building relationships with people. Right. How can you help them? How can you guys help each other? You know, what can you gain from this relationship? And I don't mean financially. I just mean, you know, spiritually, emotionally, you know, business-wise, whatever it is. What can you gain from these relationships? And down the road, you know, things will develop yeah. when they're meant to. Right. Yeah. I, I think yeah. sometimes people think networking is, is a negative connotation. It really isn't. No. It's kind of what makes the world go round. You know, Absolutely. we're there to help each other. And um, it works between two people and maybe not with two other people. So you have to really form those relationships. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, doing a variety of things too. I think not putting all your eggs in one basket right. with the networking. You know, like I think going back to your earlier point with what can people do with the sponsorship, I think it's get involved. You know, right. I think um sitting behind your desk wondering how you're gonna get sponsors is not gonna get you sponsors. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's not so. gonna work. They don't come to you. No. 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 <laughs> um 
I always like to ask my guests who are busy like you and doing a lot of things in the community and um, kind of being pulled in a lot of different directions, how you manage your day. Um, again, for women that maybe are contemplating starting something of their own, um, I just find it interesting to know, do you go about your day very purposefully and, and say, this is what I'm going to do you know, this morning and this is what I'm going to do this afternoon? Or do you kind of um, manage things as they come at you throughout the day? Because that's what happens with you know emails and right. texting and all that kind of stuff. I definitely manage things as they come, like you know crisis management and things like that, <laughs> and you know immediate procrastination and that kind of thing. Um, and you know I think one of my goals of 2013 is trying to have more of a structure with that. Right. Um, and I think that's probably I hear that people. a lot. I don't I think I'm in the minority for that. No, so. not at all. Yeah, not at I mean all. I think you know. Um, I think it would be nice to have more of a regular schedule, but I feel like there's there is a lot of things that pull me in different directions. So there's so many things I'm interested in doing. So you know, if people call me and there's a great networking event or there's a client that wants to meet today, you know, or you know, my sister calls and says, "Hey, why don't we go to the art museum this afternoon?" That's a luxury of having your own business. That's right. So That's right. you know, if it's a nice day and I want to go to the art museum, I can push those proposals to at night and write them at night because right. I don't have a regular job anymore. Right. It's it's. That's part of being your own boss. Right. So, um, you know, that has its, you know, good side and it has its bad side. Right. And I think um, having more structure in your day, I would, you know, that's the advice I would give to other people. But I can't say that I <laughs> abide, abide by that myself. Don't do what I do. <laughs> right. Do this. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, before, you know, it flew by as it always does. And there's so much I wanted to talk to you about. But um, before we end the show, I'd love for you to give your contact information for people who would be interested in, in speaking to you about any of the organizations you're working with? Sure. So it's Jennifer Robinson. My website is www.eventswithapurpose.net. And you can also reach my email, which is jennifer at eventswithapurpose.net. Um, and you can also find our business page on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn. Great. So. And certainly if you're listening and, and you need Jennifer's um, assistance, um, she's going to be a great lady to help you out and get you started. Or jump in the, in the middle of something right. that you're doing as well. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much for coming in today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Great. <laughs> All right, gang. That's it for this week of Women to Watch. And again, my name is Susan Rocco. And if you're listening and you'd like to con- to come on the show and, and share with our listeners what you're doing, I'd love to hear from you. So please give me a call at 215-313-5561 or send me an email to s. Rocco233 at Gmail. Have a great week, everybody.